Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. And for those of you joining us on YouTube on Patriots Press Pass this evening, and Alex, we got a doozy to discuss here tonight. We're going to talk about the Patriots win over the Browns and what it means moving forward. And then we will save the preview show for tomorrow on the Atlanta Falcons with this very, very quick turnaround for the Patriots and for us. So we'll figure uh, the Falcons out tomorrow. But today, a lot to discuss about this game, Alex. And I, I think the biggest takeaway that I had, I know. Hang on, lot- hang on. I, I know where we have to start. Uh, here we, we go. I, we have to update the scoreboard. Yes, this is this is where I was going, actually. I was I was going to give it to you. All right, well, there, there, there's a look at the new score. 74, 74 to 24. Wow. This is like this is like FBS versus FCS numbers here between actual football and the math. It is. It's great to see. And I think that that's where I wanted to start. We're going to get into all the individual player performances and all those types of things here in a second. But watching Bill Belichick over the last four weeks and then putting the the icing on the cake against Cleveland on Sunday return to pantsing every single coach that he goes up against in the NFL week in and week out to me has been in a lot of ways, just as big of a development as some of the player development that we've seen from the Patriots is that the hoodie and Josh McDaniels and the Patriots coaching staff is back to finding a groove and just kicking everybody's butt from a schematic perspective. And I know you had a couple of things you wanted to hit on about the Cleveland Browns and their ineptitude, but starting just big picture wise with that, it felt like first drive opening drive of this game that the Browns ran the football right down the Patriots throats. And then the Patriots duped them or baited them into going away from the running game because the Pats put heavier personnel on the field and Kevin Stefanski overthought it and went to that spread empty type of game that we talked about last week saying if the Patriots get into this type of game against the Browns and they force Baker Mayfield to beat them as a drop back passer, then we really like their chances. And that's exactly what happened. And Stefanski let them do it, right? Stefanski let it happen. And we all knew going in, that if that was the type of game uh, that we were going to get, that the Patriots were going to win. Yeah, I, you know, I think the the biggest plus for in this game for the Patriots, obviously they did a lot of things well. But if you ask me, you know, what was I most impressed about overall? Yeah. You know, specific play, it's the Mac Jones touchdown to Kendrick Warren, and we'll get into right. That. The biggest overall thing I was the most impressed with, and I talked about this when we previewed a game, right? The Browns offensively, things tend to snowball for them one way or the other. If they start strong, they, it generally is a sign that they're going to have an impressive game. That's what they did two weeks ago against the Bengals. Uh, if they struggle early, they do have trouble digging out of that. That's right. kind of been their MO the last two years. And so they have that first drive, and it's, uh, here we go. It's right. a good day for them. They're feeling it. Right. And the Patriots defense clamped them down. 2.7 yards per play when you take away that first drive, you know, after that first drive. Right. So. That, that wasn't easy what the Patriots did. It's not even that they contained them the whole game. That's obviously impressive. But to adjust and bounce back and just change that quickly, to improve that quickly after that first drive when the Browns were doing whatever they wanted, that's a ton of credit to the Patriots' defense. And it goes back to another thing we've talked about, Evan, in that what separates the great teams from the good teams, the good teams can win games their way. Yeah, the great teams can win games when they're not allowed to play the way they want to play. 
And I'm not saying the Patriots had to totally change their scheme on Sunday, but clearly they, they prepped a game plan all week. One drive in, they changed it up. And that's a lot harder than it sounds. And they did that. So that was an out, another outstanding performance by a Patriots defense that is now ranked second in the league. And you saw why on Sunday. Because that, you know, I know what it looked like. And there's been people saying, oh, the Browns are 5-5. Five and five. They just got blown out. They're a bad team. If you call every team, like, not every team you beat they're is not, a bad team. Sometimes right, they're not a bad. Teams, they're right? not a bad team. They're an inconsistent team. It's a, it's a, not even that. It's a logical fallacy. Right? Yeah, the yeah. Rams lost last night. Are the Rams a bad team because they right. lost one game? No, the Browns are a good team. Uh, the Patriots are better. The Patriots were much better in that game, and a lot of it was the defense. So a huge credit to the defense for turning things around after that rough start. Yeah. So that was really the in-game adjustment there. And it, it was a little bit more base defense. It wasn't a ton more base, though. It, it was more just the way that they were taking on the blocking from the Browns early right. on in the game. They were trying to run some different stunts up front and different penetration uh, type of schemes to try to get in the backfield. And the Browns were just pinning it down and they were making they were making mincemeat out of those types of schemes on the opening drive. So then the Patriots put Hightower and Bentley off the line and just went downhill at them, right? They they just right. they just played bully ball against this Browns offense and they had their way with them at the line of scrimmage from that point on in the run game. It was 41 carries, uh, 41 yards on 15 carries after that opening drive. That that's what the Browns gained on the ground for the rest of the game. So it was a really impressive turnaround there. Josh McDaniels has figured out a lot of the pieces of this offense to put it together and give them a ton of balance and just a ton of different options to beat you on any given Sunday. It might not be a, a star-studded supporting cast with a Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams or somebody, a number one guy, have six, seven guys touch the ball and make effective plays with it. That's also difficult to defend if you can spread it around as effectively as the Patriots did on Sunday. And you start to look at some of these advanced metrics that, that I, I look at every single week, DVOA, EPA per play, whatever you want to use, the math, thank you. Uh, the Patriots right now are, after this four-game winning streak, a top six team in the NFL, a top five team in the NFL. Some of these metrics have them as the best team in the AFC, right? Because they look just beyond the record and they just kind of look at the overall production and output of the team. They're second in the league in scoring defense. They're sixth in scoring offense. Uh, this is all of a sudden the six and four record. Throw that out because of what we might see from this team in the future. And that's why we titled this podcast, Are They Real Contenders? Because that, that's what I wrote after the game. And it feels like it's what a lot of people wrote, that this is not just a nice season with a rookie quarterback that we can say, Oh, the future is bright. And Mac, they found a quarterback in Mac and this is all well and good. Now it feels like the Patriots might actually be for real. And yeah. they could actually go on a run here and they could compete in the AFC this year. I don't know if they're going to win a Super Bowl. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves there, but in terms of what they could be over the back half of the season, if this four game streak and that game against Cleveland's any indication uh, this could be a, a really good Patriots team down the stretch here. So it, it's funny you phrase it that way about, you know, where the metrics have them, because I yeah. look at it, you know, my my primitive brain that can't comprehend the math. <laughs> I, I look at it, you know, I, I was thinking about this today. If this was a college football style ranking system. Right. Right. Where it's it's based on what 
what teams have done, uh, overall body of work. It's not projective. It's not looking ahead. Are the, Patriots aren't the, the, the number one seed in the country. They're not. Like, they wouldn't be at the top of the AP 25. Right. But I want, like, if we just take the AFC, Patriot, Patriots are top three team. And I, I would bet if we had, like, an AP vote for the NFL like we do for college football, the Patriots would be ranked higher than the Bills right now. I really yeah. think they would because you look at what the Patriots have done in their losses. They have all non-conference losses. It's kind of funny that term works right now, or not all non-conference losses. Three of their four losses are non-conference, right? They lost right. The in the NFC and three of the best teams in the NFC. Right. So that's now the other well. thing. Three right. of their four losses are in for, sorry, if you don't watch college football, this analogy might not hit perfectly, but yeah, they're not quality losses. We talk about quality loss in college football where, you know, Right, Michigan has their one loss, but they're still in the picture because they lost to Michigan State, who's another top 10 team. Right. So that's a quality loss. You don't get credit for it, but it's not the same as losing to just anybody. Right. And the way who are the the Bills who are the Bills losses, right? They lost to the Jaguars. That's a loss that would like would drop you. If right. you lose badly in college football, if you lose an embarrassing upset, unless you're Alabama who lost to Texas AM roll tide, you fall way down the rankings. You might have right. one loss, other teams might have three. But if you lose to a joke of a team, you're going to fall. Miami's not it. Miami's kind of a joke, but that was also week one. We didn't know that factors in two. I'm probably getting two in the weeds at this point. But yeah, the point being, like, if you look at this from a college football point of view, the 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 Bills would be ranked higher in terms of the CFP, the college football playoff rankings. AP right. top 25, I think the Patriots would be ranked higher. And that's just like a good way to kind of put where we're at right now. Right. Outside of the week one Miami loss, which, as you said, Week one, Max first start. The Dolphins looked like a team that would might be frisky, not a Super Bowl contender, but a team that was going to be better than they ended up being. Throw that loss out. The really only bad loss that you have all year is New Orleans, and that was still week three of Mac Jones' career, right? It was still just his third career start. Tampa Bay, you play them right down the wire, and it's a doink field goal away from being a, a Patriots lead there late. And you lose to Dallas in overtime. And Dallas might be the best team in the entire league right now. Right. right? You know, just looking at what the Cowboys have done. So the Patriots, look, I think there's a lot of national discourse out there now. All of a sudden, the Patriots are the darlings of ESPN and, and a first take. And I don't all like these, it. Yeah, all these people are just are, are jumping on the bandwagon. Mac is not Brady. Mac doesn't need to be Brady, right? He, But he's not Brady. Right. And the Patriots are still a team that needs to prove it. I think still here down the stretch, we can't crown them for being six and four. Okay. But what we're seeing is the foundation being laid. You're seeing this defense in particular, really start to just put together good week after good week. Max had some ups and downs. The offense has had some ups and downs as a whole against Carolina. For instance, that wasn't really Mac or the offense's best game. The defense has now played well going on a month plus, right? That The, the defense is, is for real. This is a, a good Patriots defense, and yeah. it, it, it's exciting. It's exciting that everybody's talking about the Patriots again, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, it's always exciting that they're talking about your team. Uh, you, your guys on FNM today, I was listening to them a little bit, and they they hate it, right? They're 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 like, uh, he's not Brady, and I no, he doesn't. He's not Brady, but but Mac Jones, and this is a good segue into talking about Mac. I posted an article today about looking at Mac and 
this game against Cleveland was by far his best tape of the year. I mean, it's, it's just not even close. I mean, Dallas was really good too, but whether it was his fault or not, there was a pick six in there. And at, at some point you have, you know, when a pick six happens, it, that docks it in my brain just a little bit. Right. I mean, whether or not it, it was his fault aside, this game turnover free, wasn't even close to turning over the football, incredibly efficient, and I think the stat that really stood out to me was if you take out the screen passes, he threw seven screen passes and they were highly effective on the seven screens. I'll, I'll admit he threw 16 passes that did not include screens without screens. And his average depth of target was 10.4 yards on those 16 passes. And his time to throw was 2.39 seconds on average. So this is not check down Charlie, right? This is no. not, we're going to hit the top of the drop and we're going to get the ball out and that's going to make our, our metrics look good. Our completion percentage and our time to throw. This was a quarterback aggressively throwing the football down the field and doing it in a warp speed. 10 games into his NFL career. And that's why everybody is so impressed with what they've seen from Matt. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw another stat on top of that that PFF had. I don't remember if it was yesterday morning, this morning, whatever. Uh Perfect passer rating on all his throws, 10 plus yards down the field. Yeah. Kid can't throw, no arm, pea shooter, not athletic, rookie wall. I'll tell yeah. you where I'll tell you where you can find Max Rookie Wall, Evan. You can find Max Rookie Wall. Go to Brady's Cliff, take a left. You'll find Max Rookie Wall right there. No, this yeah. was uh he was awesome in that game. And I I tweeted during the game and I actually said it to Matt Dolph, who was sitting right next to me when he threw that pass to Kendrick Bourne. I turned to Matt, I said, This is Alabama Mac Jones. Yeah. And I think some people on Twitter misunderstood me. They thought it was a knock because everybody talked about Mac at Alabama, right? Having all these weapons around him and he'd facilitate or whatever. If you remember back in here. So here's why I said that. And it's really encouraging because remember early in the season, like whatever it was week two, week three, and we're talking about, yeah, Mac looks good, but he's, you know, he's not throwing the ball down the field. He's not this, that, whatever. And I I told everybody it's not that big of a deal because I, I remember exactly what I said. I said, it's, I'm not worried about it. Because we saw him do it in college. If he hadn't done it in college, this would be a red flag. But he's done it before. It's just about needing time to assimilate. The throws he was making against the Browns, you go that, that we're all like, oh my God, right? The throw to Bourne, the th- the wheel route to to Bolden, the throws right. to Henry, the one in the end zone, the one on the sideline, you know, fitting the ball into tight windows, pushing the ball down the field. You go back and you watch his tape at Alabama, especially in the biggest games. Those throws are all over his tape at Alabama. Yeah. Why he didn't make them for the first three or four weeks of his NFL career. Can't tell you. Maybe he wasn't comfortable. Maybe the coaches didn't want him to. Maybe they just weren't there. Like we know some of them were there. I don't know. But, and I have said this since before the draft, I'll trade eight bad games in September and October of 2021 for eight to 10 years, of good quarterback play, whatever he did being conservative early on, it clearly worked. And now here we go. This is the full Mac Jones experience. This is the guy I've been pounding the table for since last October, since this time last year, because he always could make those throws. He stopped for a little bit, but he always could make those throws. So when I say that's Alabama Mac Jones, that was Alabama Mac Jones that we saw. That's why, because he was doing things that he was doing in college that elevated him to a first round pick that he maybe stopped doing a little bit early on in his NFL career. Now he's back to it. Yeah, I asked him today about the Kendrick Bourne throw, and I, I just asked if he feels more confident pushing the ball into tight windows like that. Because I agree with you 100% that 
especially that that week two game against the Jets really stands out whenever we discuss this about not having that willingness or that trust to pull the trigger on some of these NFL open throws down the field. And the discourse on Matt coming into his NFL career was always about, we know he's good at the X, Y, and Z, but when he gets into the NFL and there's a difference between Alabama open and NFL open, is he going to make that adjustment? And is he still going to have the ability to put that ball into those tight windows? And, And he just told me, just reading some of the quote uh, that, you know, it's just nailing the opportunity when it's there. And there's been times that I've missed that and I can definitely do a better job of that consistently. It just goes back to sticking to my reads. And on that play, I was asked him specifically about the Bourne play. He was open and I threw it to him and we just need to keep doing that. So to me that he wasn't open. Mac threw him open. He wasn't open. Mac threw him open to, to me. He didn't directly acknowledge that I said confidence, but that answer sounds like, right. His confidence has grown that he, he really feels like there, there's now these opportunities that he can take uh, throwing the football down the field. The boring throw is great. The Hunter Henry corner route later on in the game, the beginning of the third quarter, another example of a tight window throw down the field that I'm not sure if Mac makes in week two that he's making now and you're seeing just week after week after week him just get better and better and better and then learn from some of the mistakes from the past weeks and improve on those areas and it's just this is everything that you wanted out of a young quarterback and when we talked about the draft discourse of Mac the other angle of it was certainly athleticism arm talent physical attributes, right? All the those types of things that he was missing. He wasn't Zach Wilson or all the things that don't help you play court, all the things that aren't necessary for playing quarterback. Right. So I think what we've learned and what we continue to learn yet the league and I'll admit myself, we all get infatuated with the arm talent and the wow throws and, you know, Trey Lance rolling to his right, throwing across his body to his left to a receiver down the sideline on the left side from right to left, 40, 50 yards in the air. We all get infatuated with those throws, but at the end of the day, accuracy and decision-making from the pocket wins out every single time. If you are an accurate on time, smart decision-maker with the football at the quarterback position, that is still the most important attributes to QB play and the entire in, in the any really any level of football, but especially in the NFL when things happen so quickly. And uh, just really quickly to wrap this up, looking around the league at some of these guys that have had some struggles this year. I'm not just talking about the rookies. Even a guy that's had some issues, uh, comparatively speaking, like a Patrick Mahomes, right? that that when you take away that playground aspect and you take away the deep shots down the field and you play cover two about against Kansas city and you force Patrick Mahomes to be a timing based rhythm thrower from the pocket, even guys like that have some issues with it. And if you're not going to be the peak like Mahomes is when he's on his game from out of structure and you're not going to do the timing stuff, then you're going to no offense Jets fans, you're going to be Zach Wilson. Right. And that and that's what we're finding out here quickly is that Mac Jones should be rewriting the way we evaluate quarterbacks in the NFL draft going forward. This should be the the top of the of the food chain. Right. The top the top element should be accuracy, decision making and timing. 
All the other stuff is, if you can have it, it's gravy. Oh, man. If only somebody had been saying that for last year. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Hang on. No, no. So there's a couple things there you said I want to touch on. First off, the Mahomes thing. Well, let's check in with one of Patrick Mahomes' teammates, Tyron Matthew, on Twitter today. Right? I don't know if you saw this. So was this a shot at Mahomes? Because it kind of felt a little bit like that. Yeah. So Tyron Matthew on Twitter. Mac Jones wasn't trendy enough for y'all at first, huh? Now yeah. y'all love him. Man, y'all funny day in and day out. Y'all should be on Comedy Central. Right. Olofsky agrees with him, and he replies, he don't throw sidearm or run fast, so people knocked him. Dude can play QB, period. Yeah. Love the Honey Badger. Always been a fan of the Honey Badger. Hey, I think he's the greatest single football player I've seen in my lifetime. Is uh, he a free agent I, anytime soon? Bring I him don't on know. In. I hope so. Mac I love him even more today. It felt like a shot at Mahomes. It um, did. Somebody in the comments put, you know, if this is Alabama Mac Jones, why are we so excited? If we've seen it before, this is something else we talked about a ton back in the summer. That jump doesn't always happen for a million different reasons. Has Jacksonville seen Clemson Trevor Lawrence? No. Right. Has well, the Jets have seen BYU Zach Wilson. He was just overdrafted. (laughs) That's another conversation. But like Trevor Lawrence. The greatest, the, the best prospect since Andrew Luck, Luck yeah. Manning Lawrence, right? That's why they talked about it. He might be a miss. And granted, some of that's landing spot and situation, and that's always going to be a part of this. Is the situation they're put in? Matt got put in a fantastic situation, right? Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence got Urban Meyer, who can't be bothered to leave his hometown bar to fly home with the team. But there's, you know, it's an accomplishment to pick yeah. up where you left off in college in the NFL is an accomplishment, and yeah, just. I actually don't think this is going to change the way NFL teams look at quarterbacks. Neither do I. And uh, there's two main reasons. The upside's too high. And I talked about this last year when we were doing the draft discussion that teams get so sucked in by the upside that it blinds them to literally everything else. And I don't think, you know, teams are just – it's – guys, coaches get so caught up on what could be. Like, if I draft this guy, if he hits – all of his million what ifs. Right. All I mean, have job security for life. I think that's a perfect right. example with Trey exactly. Lance right now. And San they Francisco. overthink it. And yeah. I think the allure of that kind of job security is just going to go away because I don't, you have to be, you know, I, I just don't think every coach thinks they can win with the Mac Jones because they all have their system. And all right. these coaches develop these new modern systems that are over the top and unnecessary. They can't just keep it simple to a drop back passer. So, you know, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, the Kevin Stefanski's of the world, they don't want Mac Jones even though he's the most efficient way to win because he goes against what the math tells them. The other reason I don't think Mac Jones will change anything. And I, this, I was wrong about when I said you can get a Mac Jones pretty much any year. There's no Mac Jones this year. There's a million Trey Lance, Zach Wilson yeah. in this draft class. That's all this draft class is. Take your shot with, with, with Spencer Rattler. Take right. your shot with Desmond. Is it Ritter Ryder? I still don't know. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. 
from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. I've heard it both ways. You know, take your shot. I like, I like Jane Daniels at Arizona state. I actually really do. I think he's sneaky. One of the best quarterbacks in this draft. I touched him before the third round, take your shot with those guys all you want because they have that. Oh, he could be right. None of those guys are definite. hits. Well, that that was a story on the, on the plane after Trey Lance's private workout that Kyle Shanahan was on the plane talking to John Lynch of, oh, I could do this with him and I could do that with him and right. we could scheme this up with him. And and the Niners, I, I truly believe the Niners changed their minds. I really I do think, too. I really think I the Niners too. wanted were gonna take Mac when they made that trade up. And then they went and they went to Trey Lance's pro day and they got infatuated with all the throws and shorts and a t-shirt and Kyle Shanahan started getting into his bag of tricks and all oh, I could roll this play out and I can run that play and I can run this play. And he opens up the offense and we play 11 on 11. Trey Lance still hasn't, wait, has he started a game? I think he did because Jimmy G got hurt. He did. Right? Jimmy was hurt. Shocker, but not ready. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. And again, I think that maybe if there was a Mac Jones this year, Maybe if there was a guy that we could hype up in that way, then yeah. the team would say, oh, look, Mac looks good. We'll take the guy. But that guy's just not here. You know, if Phil Dracovic was in this draft class, hell, if, you know, if he has a really good year next year, if Hank Bachmeyer was in this draft class, yeah. then maybe you could sell me on it. But, I'm, I mean, Matt Corral, pure upside pick. Malik right. Willis, pure upside pick. Sam Howe, legitimately bad. Carson Strong, Jordan Love clone. Kenny Pickett, probably fake. Desmond Ritter, high upside pick. I yeah. love Grayson McCall, but he's a high upside pick. I don't think he comes out this year. Like the first quarterback, I think that's maybe a Mac Jones comp is Brennan Armstrong. He's the consensus 136 player in the draft this year. Jeez. I don't think he's Mac. I don't think he's close to Mac, like talent wise, but he's the closest player comp you're going to get. So maybe he'll get pumped up this year, but that's the other thing. Maybe some team does say, hey, we want our Mac Jones. We'll reach on Brennan Armstrong. Brennan Armstrong kind of, you know, isn't great. So Kenny he's not Pickett, great, and it scares Kenny everybody off. Me some vibes, not what? Mac. He's not Mac, Who? but Kenny Pickett. Some, some. So here's the thing about some, Kenny Pickett. Some accurate. We're getting too far off the. No, no, no. You've got to let me do this now that we're doing Kenny Pickett because oh my, my brother's friends watched this show. Yeah, my brother went to Pitt, so I've watched a decent amount of Kenny Pickett. Yeah, nobody is better at getting their. T- Kenny Pickett is like the college version of Philip Rivers, and what I mean by that is. Nobody is better at getting their team within striking distance with two minutes to go and then losing the game like Kenny Pickett. He does it against good teams. He does it against bad teams. Whoever they play, regardless of the level of competition, it is a close game with two minutes to go, and then he throws an interception. So there is some talent there, like not to totally knock him, but Kenny Pickett kind of scares me because he doesn't have that late game gene. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, the last thing I want to say about Mac, and then we need to talk about some of the other because it's not just Mac, right? It's not just the coaching. Right. It's not just well, there's, Mac. A lot, uh, there's a lot more we got to talk about. That's what I've that's what we've hit on so far. But the last thing I want to say about Mac in this game in particular, and Josh McDaniels actually talked about this earlier on in the season about how good Mac Jones is at setting the table before the ball is snapped. Well, now uh, and McDaniels, I think it was last week, mentioned this too. Now he's starting to pick up on indicators from the defense, right? Little little techniques, uh, the shade of, of certain rushers or the way that the corners are aligning. Are, are they square? Are they open? Or, you know, how are, where are they standing, their leverage, things like that. And he's 
picking up all these things pre-snap and then McDaniels will add in little tricks for him, little indicators like motions or uh, different alignments to kind of get a look. Is it man? Is it zone? Is it one high? Is it too high? And the decision-making and the ability to the quick release and the time to throw stats and all that kind of stuff is all because Mac is basically figuring out where he's going with the football before it's even snapped most of the time. Right. And that is uh, when you talk about, quarterbacks making throws on their first reads everybody wants to see the quarterback progress right they want to see him get to number two or number three in the progression and make the backside dig throw or something like that but mac is getting to the first read because he's saying it's man to man it's single high jacoby is my read on that play that's where i'm going with it right just like this and being able to have that kind of processing before the snap too is just extremely impressive for any aged quarterback right and max doing it already in his rookie season we can't talk about the offense though and not talk about some of the supporting cast elements that are also starting to come together here for the patriots the offensive line on sunday peaked right that was the offensive line we were expecting coming into the season that the patriots were going to have a dominant dominant offensive line and they played like a dominant unit on sunday against a really good cleveland browns defensive front and miles garrett Trent Brown was, I I tweeted this yesterday when I was watching the offense on the all 22, it was a Trent Brown highlight reel from start to finish pancake after pancake moving guys, eight, 10 yards off the line. You don't move NFL defensive ends or defensive tackles, 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. You see that on college tape, but you don't see that on NFL tape. And that's what Trent Brown and Shaq Mason were doing uh, next to each other on Sunday. That was an absolute, if you love offensive line play like I do, and you love trenches and uh, plays in the line of scrimmage, watching number 77 block on Sunday was a thing of beauty. I I just can't, I I can imagine Dante Scarnecchia was sitting on his couch watching that game on Sunday, just having a great time because he, they were just going to town. I mean, it was, it was crazy how far they were moving that Browns front off the line. Let's talk about, let's give them their kudos, but we also got to talk about Mike on being the odd okay. man out too. Well, so just a quick, uh, another quick addition on the offensive line before we talk about it. I thought um, you, you, we already talked a little bit about how much success they had in the screen game, right? Yeah. David Andrews gardening, just gardening, just planting linebackers yeah. in the turf all day. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was, he uh, was Isaiah actually, Wynn got one too. Ted Karras uh, had did, a nice yeah. screen. Uh, he got a yeah. couple. Yeah. The block on a, uh, Brandon Bolden's third down screen. It was early on yeah. in the game, gained 20 yards. Andrews and Ted Karras both had great blocks on that screen. And then Isaiah went absolutely pancaked the defensive back on a wide receiver screen to Kendrick Bourne. Uh, and I, I feel bad for that guy. He just kind of laid down on the ground and was like, ouch, you know, you could, you could just see the pain on the tape, but I mean, heavy, hard hitting, just physical, uh, take it to them. Really? It, it was, it was a take it to them type of game for the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were really good. They, they were really good. And you know, Miles Garrett got the sack. Sure. But yeah. he had 12 sacks in on games. Like you knew he was going to get his, he got his right. one. He didn't, you know, I Bill Belichick, when he really respects a defensive player, right. When he really does, he refers to that player's ability to ruin a game. He doesn't say it often. He says it maybe once or twice a year. He said about Aaron Donald a couple of years ago. We said it about Joey Bosa this year. Uh, Miles Garrett, to me, is in the category of a player who can ruin a game. And the Patriots didn't let him ruin the game. He got his one yeah. sack. Happened. 
it, it, you know, it was the worst thing that happened to the Patriots offense all day. And if one sack in an inconsequential situation is the worst thing that happens to you all day, you had a pretty good freaking day. Yeah, I, I really, looking back on it, there was probably two negative plays that that Miles Garrett produced, right? Two plays that that were um, bad plays for the Patriots offense. One of them was the sack, which was a cut block situation. Matt Crowley should have gotten the ball out quicker there. It's probably less on the tackles and more on the quarterback in that situation. Probably the one down play that Mac had the entire game. And the other one was obviously drawing the illegal hands to the face penalty on Isaiah right. Wynn. When you have a guy like Miles Garrett have two negative plays the entire game, uh, you're definitely doing something right as an offensive line or just as an offense in general, chip blocks. Nikhil Harry was a huge factor in, on a couple of those as well. Uh, helping Isaiah win out, not leaving Isaiah win on an island all that much was was really important part of that game plan. What were your thoughts? Because I know when I the game started and Mike Onwenu was on the bench, I, I was really confused. Now, I think that today we learned a little bit talking to some of the players about Ted Karras and, and just kind of the the physical mindset that he brings, uh, the smart kind of cerebral mindset that he brings as well, because that is a, uh, a big thing is, ha I think, with this decision was that Karras and Andrews basically gives you two centers, right? Two guys that have played a right. ton of center in their career, and they've allowed that trio in the interior to level off a little bit. And in some ways, I think Isaiah wins better play that we've seen over the last month or so might be having an experienced guy next to him at guard and Ted Karras instead of breaking in a new guard and Michael on Yeah. I, so to me, I wonder if it was just, did they might not, not they might've been worried that Brown couldn't play the full game. Yeah. And we saw that, right. We saw him subbed out at times. And I think it's as simple as if you take Karras out, and move on Wendu over there, then essentially whenever you want to make that swap, and maybe they planned on making it more than they did, whenever you want to make that swap, you essentially have to change two guys, right? You have to right. move on Wendu back it back over to tackle and then put Ted Karras into the game. By making on Wendu the odd man out, you're just it's in and out. It's a one for one. Yeah. And it just it's it's easier on the group, right? It sucks to take on Wendu off the field, but it's easier on the group. Now, now that they know Trent Brown can play a full game, now it gets interesting. And yeah. he becomes the odd man out because I don't think, I, I don't think they're going to essentially bench Michael Owen winner for the rest of the year. Right. It's, it's tough. Cause they have six starting caliber offensive linemen. It's a really good problem to have. Yeah. Um, you wish that you could, th these are the times where you wish you could get straight answers out of the coaches sometimes. And maybe McDaniels right, right. will give us one on this tomorrow. Cause he was pretty honest when I asked him about why they didn't switch on when to tackle and put Karras in earlier. Right. He gave a pretty good answer about going back to training camp and all that kind of stuff about that. But Clearly their best five has Michael Onwenu in the starting lineup somehow, right? He's clearly one of their five best linemen. Now, maybe he's not in the coach's eyes as good as PFF thinks he is. You know, PFF has, thinks he's a top five offensive lineman in the league two years in a row. Maybe he's not as good as, as that in the coach's eyes, but whether it's putting him back at guard and if they don't want to shake up Ted Karras because he's kind of a glue guy right now for this offensive line, and I, you know, I'm a win guy, you know, I'm a win guy, but you might need to think about Trent Brown at left tackle and Isaiah win to the bench at some point, because I think on is clearly better 
than Wynn and Karras, just in terms of what we see on tape between those guys. But Karras seems to be somebody that they want to keep in for his leadership, for his mental toughness, for the the glue aspect that I was just talking about. And I think the communication, too, with the rookie quarterback, yeah. right? That has right. to help. So we'll see. Which, again, it's a good problem to have. And the reality is, worst case scenario, the current alignment works. Right. And if you have to leave on when you leave on when but the current alignment works. And it's not like they're all these guys are locked into long-term deals, right? They can move, move things around if they need Trent Brown's up at the end of the year as a win's got his fifth year option. Then he's done. So um, they got, they, they, they'll figure it out. Good, good problem to have. And maybe some, have. maybe some more tackle eligible stuff too, right? We've seen them. I, I think that was part of the game plan, but they didn't actually need it. You know, I think, That's, I, uh, you know, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that, cause they did run it a couple of times and they ran one run in particular where Shaq and, Trent Brown and Mike on when were on the same side of the line and the thing just caves in. Right. I mean, as you would yeah. expect with those three guys on the same side. So I think that in, in other game plans, maybe even on Thursday night when it just kind of a go down there take care of business and get out of there healthy type of game. Right. Maybe you do see some six O line. And if uh, Damian Harris is back, then you can have Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris run it 40 times down Atlanta's throat. Right. right? You know, I think that that, that is coming and will be used more in, in the future. I think the other thing too, and you know, just flashback re- as recently as 2018, it's going to get cold. It's going to yeah. get cold up here, and it's you know, the the lower the temperature, the more it favors the running game. And if you can put those six guys up front with bully backs like Stevenson and Harris, and just pound the ball forwards in like 20 degree weather, that's going to work. Oh, yeah. I, that that that's going to work against anybody. So maybe there's some of that too. Yeah, I've never seen an offensive lineman move people like Trent Brown move people on Sunday in an NFL game. That was... I mean, he's huge. It was awesome. That was, that was, was something awesome. else. I, I, I've ne- in an NFL game, I've never seen it. I, I, and you watch all the great offensive linemen that the Patriots go up against every single week, whether it's, a, you know, th- this week they got a guy in Chris Lindstrom who's super athletic, great guard for the Falcons. A couple weeks uh, uh, later, they got, you know, Quentin Nelson in the Colts. I think he's healthy, right, Quentin Nelson? You know, they got I guys so, yeah. all over the place. Even this Browns line, Teller and Batonio and uh, Jedrick Wills, you know, really good players on the line. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts' premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I N. SA. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. Into dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too, and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insta founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insta. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Nobody has ever moved people like Trent Brown did in that game. And he paved the way for one Ramondre Stevenson, who didn't practice all week long, goes out there, has 100 yards of rushing on 20 carries, and looked fantastic, gained over 60 yards after contact. It wasn't all just the line 
you know, gaping holes by the offensive line. He was also adding uh, to it after that. Uh, what are your impressions of Stevenson? He's such a unique runner, and, and he kind of pointed to that uh, this week when he said that he watches big backs, small backs, you know, scat backs, power guys, all different types of backs, and kind of puts all of it together to to mash together one playing style. And it definitely shows because he's got both wiggle and he's got power. It's impressive. Yeah, I think the reason why it looks so unique is you don't see guys of his size. I know he told us the other day he's not actually 240. He's not actually 246. He's 220-something. I'm going to continue to believe he's 245 because it's more fun that way. Um, but it's not often you see somebody that big and that tall. I mean, he's six feet. He's not like tall, but that's tall for a running back. Yeah. Generally, that's the taller end of the average for a running back. Um, it's not often you see a guy of his build have the kind of contact balance that he does. Yeah. And I think that's where you get that unique running style where he can run so low to the ground yeah. despite his size. He runs, I mean, he runs the ball like Darren Sproles. Yeah, that's his running style. But then he's six foot two thirty, and he right. can beat the crap out of people. Right. So when you combine those two, yeah, it is it is very unique. He is a ton of fun, and I think when they get Damian Harris back, having those two guys complement each other, it's just it, it's going to be special to watch because there's something to be said for if you just power run at a team, you wear them out. Yeah, you wear, like those every time you tackle, whether you're defensive tackle, linebacker. Every time you hit somebody, you you lose a little bit of gas. Right. And if you have Stevenson and Harris dishing out punishment, and both those guys can dish out punishment, both those guys run angry. If you have those guys ditching out punishment, you know, and they're staying fresh because they're rotating, you get then you put that behind that offensive line, you're gonna get to the fourth quarter. If you're still in the position to run the ball, you're gonna get to the fourth quarter, you're gonna have your way with teams. Yeah. So the the potential here, you talk about complementary football, putting the whole picture together. It's really exciting what can happen. Yeah, and then you start talking about sequencing play action together with all that as well. And right. we know how effective Mac can be on play action and, and their concepts are off of play action. From Andre, I love the Darren Sproles comp. I didn't even think of that one. He he does have a little bit of that Lev Bell patience, right? That, that ability to kind of hide behind the blockers and wait for things to develop a little bit, especially when he gets down the field. Like I think it was the the 16 yard, the 18 yarder was the toss, right? The 16 yarder, he gets down the field for his eight or nine yards are basically free. And then he's got receivers blocking in front of him and he does a great job of just kind of staying behind them and hiding and then picking a hole and, and, and going for extra yards after that really great balance. Like you mentioned as well, just really hard to get him off balance right. and, and then get him down. He's always square and he's, he's always got a great, uh, center of gravity to him, which makes him really hard to bring down as well. Yeah. I, I thought he showed good field vision too. You touched on that. I thought that yeah. if there's one element of his game, that's improved from where he was in college. I'm not saying he, he didn't have a good field vision in college. He did, but what he did on Sunday, I mean, that was another level. That's something we haven't seen from him. And maybe it's just that it was the first time he's gotten consistent carries. Yeah. So it kind of allowed him to get more in the rhythm of the game, but I thought his field vision was excellent, but um, yeah, you know, seriously, if you go back, um, in, in like, this isn't like the real way to s scout a player, evaluate a player, but just what yeah. stood out to me, if you go look at like all the pictures of Ramondre Stevenson from Sunday, like if you go into like the Getty database or USA Today or whatever, there's a bunch of pictures where you can see how low to the ground he is. Yeah. And th th that's where, that's to me, that, that's where I got the, the Darren Sproles comp is I remember seeing all these pictures of Darren Sproles where it's like. 
his head's like two feet off the ground. He's yeah. still on his feet, but he's like way down there. Low man wins. And that that's that's where I draw the, the comparison with Stevenson is he can get so low and still be in perfect control of his body. That's rare. Not a ton of guys can do that. And the majority of the guys can who can do that, I'll give you another one, is Dion Lewis. Remember yeah. how low to the ground Dion Lewis used to get when he was making guys? Yeah, miss? when you like, said Sproles, my Dion Lewis came to mind. Just so that would be another one. Yeah, these, I thought, I've seen the, more of Lewis, obviously, than Sproles. Right. But, but these are the kind of backs. I mean, these are the kind of backs we're talking about that run that way. Now, here's the guy who's six foot 230 and is running that way, and that's scary, right? That's different. That's really hard to stop because the other reality is if he doesn't want to go around you, he can go through you. So yeah. you have to be prepared for both, right? When you're defending Deion Lewis, you can kind of loosen your body a little bit to move laterally because you don't have to be worried about him just putting his shoulder right in your chest and trying to run through you. Right. Like, that's why Peyton Hillis sucked because he could, like, he was running just north and south and teams had it, like, and teams just couldn't stop him because he ran right. over everybody. Right. And then what teams basically figured out was if we make him move east to west, he can't do that. So let's just stand there. You know, he'll I'll stand here. He'll hit me but he's not going to get through me because I'm going to just totally square up. Let him try to run around me. He can't do it. Stevenson can do both. So as a tackler, if you have him in the open field, I, there's no right answer, right? You just have to kind of prepare for everything and it leaves you short in this spot or another spot. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, he's a fun back to watch that. That's yeah. for sure. And now it's great that some of the early season stuff has kind of gone by the wayside, right? He struggled at, in pass protection at times he had the, the fumbles in preseason and then the one in week one. And you, you thought red shirt year, right? You thought they might yeah. bury him. Damian well, Harris history told us, right. Damian Harris's injury or his concussion certainly opened a door. Trading Sony Michelle was the other huge gaping door that obviously yes. opened that. at that point, you almost didn't have a choice, but to eventually give him a, a shot. Right. And, and he's taken full advantage of it. And, uh, from this point on, he's going to be a factor, whether it's a reduced role where he plays more on passing downs now that Damian Harris is back or are they I wouldn't say it will be a complete, uh, you know, one way or the other, but maybe a timeshare of some sort in the backfield on that early down role. Uh, maybe instead of Damian Harris carrying it 25 times, he only carries it 15 and Stevenson gets the other 10. Right. Something, something like that. So it's a it's a great problem to have, just like the offensive line. Now they got two right. great good lead backs that can carry the ball on first and second down. Uh, oh, so can, can I put real quick in here one more thing? Yes, just to put into context of what Ramondre Stevenson's doing and why we talked about the redshirt year from coming in. Yeah, outside of the two first round picks, Sony Michelle and Lawrence Maroney, who had the most touches in this scenario, first year running back under Bill Belichick touches. So again, Maroney. Uh, sorry, Michelle had 216, Maroney had 197. Randomly, J.R. Redmond, third round pick 2000, he had 145. But that's yeah. Bill's first year. We'll throw that out. You're looking at Jonas Gray at 90, Ridley had 90, Ben Jarvis Green at 77, and then Ramondre's already fifth among this category of touches for a first-year running back under yeah. Bill Belichick. And we're just 10 years in. He should, I don't know if he'll get to 145, if he'll pass Redmond. He should pass Jonas Gray. He should get more than 90. <laughs> okay. Um it's it's Don't they, they never play Ramondre Stevenson. Make sure you shovel right. yourself out. Make exactly. sure you set ten alarms. Right. Let's not have the, another repeat of that. The, the, and and you know, oddly enough, Gray had ninety touches in eight games. Ramondre's yeah. at six with sixty six. Um, it's the, the Patriot Bills never done this. He's never yeah. operated this way. This is entirely new. 
And there's another stat I want to bring up when we get to the defense that's similar to this, but it kind of shows you how the coaching staff is evolving this year, how Bill is maybe moving past some of some of the ways he's operated in the past, and it's working out. In a past year, Ramondre Stevenson never would have played this much. They would have brought in some veterans, some Steven Jackson type, right. and just given that guy the ball and redshirted Stevenson. But they evaluated the fact that he's ready, and like keep that in mind that what he's doing is special. Yeah, they're really, in a lot of ways, like you said, that they're trusting some of these young guys to play roles that probably in the past they, they wouldn't have trusted them to play. And uh, before we move on to the defense, because we spent 50 minutes, and rightfully so, you score 45 points or whatever right. it was, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about offense. Hunter Henry's been great. We've talked a lot about Hunter Henry on the show. Uh, red zone monsters, seven of them now, uh, really has been exactly what they've needed, right? A guy that on in the red zone, and then a guy on third down that Mac Jones can go to. And, and that's exactly what they needed. But the one guy I wanted to also mention, Kendrick Bourne has quietly had a really great impact. He's their on best the receiver. Team. Yeah. He's their not, best receiver. He not only is he good on game day, but also the energy and, and some of the confidence that he brings in the locker room, I think has been much needed for that group because that's a quiet, uh, you know, kind of, not not necessarily a group that has that's oozing with that type of bravado that Kendrick Bourne right. brings to the table. So I think that he's brought in a lot of alpha out of that group as well. And 140 total yards from scrimmage. Don't forget about 141. The, 141. 141. Don't don't forget about the reverses too, right? He's been right. He's he's got a lot a little bit more giddy up than I thought, right? Good three, with the ball in his hands. Three carries for 43 yards as well, and those reverses were a huge part of the plan uh, to be able to move the ball on the ground but not have to run it right at uh, the Cleveland defense. Being able to test them on the edges like that and make them respect it. A really good game plan wrinkle by Josh McDaniels. And then the catch, right? The catch up the seam yeah. on the touchdown, go between two defenders. That's the second time because the double move on Trevon Diggs against Dallas was another play where he went and, and between two guys and got and was the one that came away with the football, right? So yeah. he's somebody that really attacks the ball when it's in the air. And some of these guys in this group, no offense, uh, don't necessarily do that all the time, right? You know, I'm looking at you, Nelson Aguilar, right? You know, the guys that don't necessarily, uh, this is my ball, right? That, that, that's, I think, when somebody said that after the game, it was a my ball type of play. And uh, that that's uh, really stood out about Kendrick Borden. He's more explosive than I thought when he has the ball in his hands. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think, too, when you talk about the, we, we've talked a ton about how, you know, a lot of receivers come here and flame out, right? Yeah. And the guys that do come here and succeed there, there isn't a ton of in common between them. Yeah. Right. Julian Edelman's a much different player than Randy Moss. Who's a much different player than Brandon LaFell. Who's a much different player than Malcolm Mitchell, right? You could keep right. going on and on and on. The one thing that they all do seem to have in common is they're all really good hands catchers. And what that means yeah. is they can catch the ball with their hands away from their body. They don't need to pull it in. They don't need to and tuck it. And he was it doing like that can... in camp too. This is, yeah. we, we noticed this right, right away about Kendrick. Oh yeah. Ford. Well, yeah, no, he was doing it in San Francisco. I mean, he made, yeah. he made sense. Um, yeah. That catch in the more I watched that play and this is, so this is something else that happened during camp. Like we talk about, Oh, a great throw from this player, a great catch from this player. Like you can have a great throw and a great catch on the same play. You yeah. can have a wide receiver, make a great adjustment, still be a, a great throw. There's a whole offensive uh, you know, principle predicated on that, the back shoulder. I That is was one of the best throw and catch combinations I've seen in a long time. I yeah. really mean that for a number of reasons. I mean, Matt, the protection's great. Mac looks off the safety, comes back, puts the ball, like he, he had a football-sized hole. 
where yeah. he could put that throw and it would be a touchdown. And he put it right there. And then for Kendrick Bourne to get his shoulder, not just that, he got his shoulders around in time. And that's the key to that catch is if you're fighting your body, you're fighting momentum, right? You're trying to come back here. It's a lot harder and it's easier because I'm in a swivel chair. But, yeah. you know, when you turn your shoulders, it just gives you more range um, and allows you to be stronger with your hands. So to get his, his, his shoulders around, square up on that ball, the hands catch, control it through contact, right? All of that. Um, it's just, it's, it was a great catch. It was a phenomenal catch. And that's the kind of play, like, again, I, I think Jacoby Myers is a solid player. I do. That's the kind of catch you only make if you've been playing wide receiver your whole life. Like a guy like yeah. Jacoby, that's just not his game. Even a guy like Nelson Aguilar, that's not really his game. He does right. bring other things, but they've been missing that contested catch guy the last few years. And it, we thought it was going to be Nikhil Harry, right? We've talked a ton about this with Nikhil Harry. That's the kind of play when they drafted Nikhil in the first round that you think he's, you know, he's going to be making on a regular basis. Now it's Kendrick Bourne, and that was a special play. And you talk about the attitude, too. Credit to Matt Dolph, who pointed this out to me earlier today. Uh, Matt, who I work with at 98.5 The Sports Hub. Kendrick Bourne's kind of the Matt Judon of the offense. Yeah. In, in terms of like, he's that, he's that, that leader. He's that tone. He's an, energy, like he's an energizer bunny. Yeah. I think that that group like, needed it too, because Max is yeah. a quiet leader. He's not necessarily a, an outward guy. I, I would say Hunter Henry, same kind of thing. They have some Kobe's of those guys quiet. on uh, they, they same have some of those guys on the offensive line, right? Like David Andrews. Right. Uh, some of those guys will talk, but his, I, you know, the, the dancing, even the energy at practice every single He's day. Fun. Yeah. It, it's, it really has brought in something else to that group that I think has always been the little engine that could, or the, the first round busting to kill Harry or, or whatever. Right. You know, these guys that, that have, it, have had issues or whatever you want to call it. And Kendrick Bourne kind of is allowing them to put all that aside. So I'll, I'll say you want to talk about energy. This is like such a, you know, side thing. It's like football, but it's not football. But yeah, go back and watch. There's an angle on the Patriots Twitter on the highlight from that play. They tweeted it the day of the game where it's born making the catch. And then he gets up and he spikes the ball. He's got his arms out like this. You see Gillette going up behind him. Everybody's running over to him. Yeah. There used to be this aura around Gillette when Brady played that. And maybe this is just me who experienced that. But you had a team that would beat the crap out of you, whatever way they needed to do it win the game. You had a bunch of fans who actually knew the game, who who like took it like Patriots fans took it as a responsibility to themselves to be loud, be rowdy, get in the other team's head, et cetera. You had a team playing team football, like it was all one moving piece, like complimentary football to the extreme. Yeah. That moment was the first time I felt that since Brady left. That yeah. and Kendrick Bourne embodies a lot of that. When he signed, he talked about the Patriot way and playing for Bill Belichick and not acting like this dominant run was over. Yeah. And Sunday was the first, there was a, a little bit of it, maybe during the Brady game, a tiny bit, but not really. This was the first time I've truly felt like, oh, Gillette's a party again. Like Gillette used to feel like, a, like we were all out there having a good time. The fans, the players, some of the media, like we're just, it, it's a party. That's what it was. That Kendrick oh, yeah. Bourne touchdown, that, that, that turned it from a game into a party. And just to see that, to have that kind of spark, I think that was a big deal. And it's going to be a big deal going forward. And that feeling is only going to get bigger as it gets colder. And just, well, I'm going on this rant since I'm already completely off the rails. I've covered this team for three years, haven't gotten a snow game. Let's get a freaking snow game this year. You got to really got, feel like the good old days. In the second half, you got Josie, right, playing. And, yeah, and, that was another one where it was, I got the chills. I got yeah, the chills when they started playing back, Josie. Baby, we're back. All right, let's it talk about like the, the good defense. old days. Here a little bit. 
again, uh, as we said uh, on the top of the show, game starts out. The Patriots have a game plan about how they're going to attack the under center stuff from Cleveland. Cleveland goes right down the field. The Patriots make a few adjustments here or there. Uh, off the high tower, moving high tower off the ball was a big part of it, right? That was a, a big part of the adjustment and some other things that they did on the line of scrimmage to be more physical and things like that. And Stefanski let lets it happen, right? Stefanski says, all right, we're going to put the game in Baker's hands now. We're going to spread them out. There was actually a point, it was right after Kyle Duggar's interception, the next drive, where they had their spread grouping, their personnel on the field to run spread, and the Patriots had base defense, and they ran two plays against it and no huddle. And then he goes ahead and he huddles. And I'm just thinking – you had it right. You, you had the matchup, you know, just, just take it. They're, they're handing you these throws underneath the field with high tower and Bentley and Van Noy and all these big linebackers in coverage. And then they huddle, they go right back under center and they run into a brick wall again. And, and that to me, it was, that's old school too, because the Patriots here, Bill Belichick just outsmarting the opponent every single time, right? That that's what used to happen all the time on the defense side of the ball. Now it's starting to happen again another zone heavy plan for the most part, but maybe some of that was the score getting out of hand and they played a lot of zone in the second half to soft zone stuff, but they're still uh, doing a great job with, with all the zone stuff. The Duggar interception was one of the best coverage reps I've seen them play all year long. Uh, That was fantastic. A pre-snap looks like one robber post-snap turns into cover two. either, Duggar or Jalen Mills could have picked that off. Both guys would have had an interception. If Duggar doesn't pick it, Jalen Mills is right behind him, and he's going to pick it. Completely confused Baker Mayfield. Uh, This defense has a formula, right? They're they're able to spin it in the back end, and they're confusing quarterbacks with the spinning. I'm really interested to see, not to get ahead of ourselves, because I know this is the recap show, but Matt Ryan is a veteran, former MVP, super smart. I got a stat for you on this. I got a stat for you on this. So can can so, they so do just, it against a veteran quarterback, right? Well, so here's so the last six quarterbacks they face, right? They've won five yeah. of their last six games in the Dallas game. Last six quarterbacks they faced have a combined 200 career starts. Yeah. Matt Ryan has 214. Right. So Matt so, Ryan, when you run those exotics and you run the post snap rotations and you sit that back and spot drop cover two, I don't know if that's going to work against a quarterback that's seen as much as Matt Ryan has seen. Baker. Herbert, Darnold, uh, obviously the Jets QBs that rolled out there uh, in week seven. Those guys you can do that against and get away with it. Uh, this Atlanta game might be a little bit more necessary to play some man-to-man and just try yeah. to take that out the receivers. But uh, that early down formula, because the Falcons included, uh, the Browns, they, they love that play-action sequencing, right? They want to get under center. They want to run it down your throats. And then they want to hit you with the play-action. And the Patriots have just been fantastic against play action this year. Right now, they're third in the league in uh, yards per attempt allowed off of play action, under six yards per attempt off of play action the opponent is averaging against the Patriots. And uh, that that is a really, really impressive number. Uh, for a defense that everybody talks about has linebackers that can't cover and, and you know have all these in- issues in the middle of the field, they have completely erased play action all year long. And it, that is, I think, one of the biggest turnarounds is that early down defense, run defense, turning it around, and also being able to stop play action. That combination has really led to this uh, this turnaround for the Pats D. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, I want to go back to the Duggar pick because yes. you talk about what the coverage did, and I, that's fair. Uh, we can't talk about that play without talking about Christian Barmore. Yeah, the, I, you I know, mean, the, he, the, once Mac again, Jones the was in the back yeah. of the whole game. Yeah. Mac Jones was not the only Alabama rookie who had his best career game. In do, you think Bar- do you think this was better than the Charger game? I do. I do. I really um more impactful. I don't know about more technically yeah. sound. It was certainly more impactful. Yeah. Um, there's a real case to be made that the best player on each side of the ball for the Patriots was an Alabama rookie. Roll tide. Uh, Barmore, I, I said it before, I'll say it a million times, at least once per drive, you talk about Trent Brown and like just moving people on a level that you don't usually see. Just yeah. working guys deep in the backfield. The, the Browns two guards, the two highest paid guards in football, right? Or they just the they just paid, paid both of those guys. Right. And, and then their center, uh, J.C. Treader. J.C. Treader's no scrub. Like, J.C. Treader can right. play, and he's been in the league for a while. And, yeah, the, the pick to Duggar, Baker throws that ball like half a second before he wanted to because he's got Christian Barmore's hand right in his face. Yeah. And then uh, the third down on the next drive. Right, J.C. The ball Jackson. that was, yeah. was nearly picked off by J.C. Jackson. I think Baker, I think um, Barmore actually got Baker on that play. I think he actually made some contact with him as he threw the ball. If not, he was certainly close. He rushed to throw. So, and I mean, those are just two plays. He was excellent all day. He's, he's special. He really is. Yeah. They freaking hit with this kid. And yeah. he's only, the, the, the thing is, it still feels like he can get a lot better because yeah. he hasn't even been in an NFL weight room for a year. So yeah, I, I know, you know, I don't know how people watch football games, but I encourage you on Thursday night, at least like take a couple plays, especially early in the game. Take a couple yeah, plays. Yeah, you're watching it. If just, you're watching it on TV, the line of scrimmage is all you exactly. can see, anyways. Right? Just just watch just watch 90. Just watch yeah. what 90 does, especially if it's like a third down early in the game. Just watch 90. You're you're gonna see some cool stuff. He's been really good, and he start. You know, this this goes back to Evan. Another concept that we've talked about that the secondary isn't what it's been in recent years. And how have they made up for that? It's by having a better pass rush. And now you're starting to see, I mean, we've seen it all year, but this game was a great example. The pass rush can create interceptions. Interceptions aren't always necessarily a product of the secondary. Obviously the guys back there have to make the play. This isn't to take anything away from Kyle Duggar, but the pass rush can create turnovers. And you saw that, you saw that happen once, almost twice in that game against the Browns. It's the balance, right? Because right. The ability on the back end right now, the strength of the back end for the Patriots or the secondary for the Patriots is that they're so multiple, right? They can play cover two, they can play cover three, they can play man, they can, and then they can spin it right on the fly. So you just don't know down in and down out what exactly you're going to get from the secondary. And that makes it unpredictable. And then you put into that, that, okay, maybe they don't have the best cover guys back there. But it takes that quarterback an extra beat or two to read the rotation of the coverage and figure out what's happening back there. And then you got Judon and Barmore and Wise and Hightower and Van Noy coming after the QB. And now all of a sudden, this is why you're having so many negative plays. And you look at Barmore, and the one thing that stands out to me is that this is now consistent three, four, five games in a row that he's been an absolute game wrecker. And he's also starting to hold up pretty well against the run as well, because it's one thing for a rookie, especially a a day two pick. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but they go chase Winovich, right? Where 
his rookie season certainly had a ton of really good flashes. Five and a right? half sacks. But the consistency down to down wasn't what they wanted it to be. Barmore is performing at this level week in, week out, down in, down out. And that's, to me, a means that you got a real player here, right? You don't just yeah. have a situational third down pass rush type of role, which is what we probably thought and I, what I thought when they drafted him yeah. was, no, oh, they'll, they'll put him in the Adam Butler role. And, At least in year one. Right. And, right. and and that'll be fine. But now you have a guy that can really play consistently in all phases and all downs. And, and that's the difference between a Winovich or an Uche or some of these other rookies that they've had that have flashed and what Christian Barmore is doing right now. And the, the, I mean, you nailed it with the consistency thing. That's yeah. right. How much have we talked? How much have I talked about that? That it doesn't matter what else you can do. If you can't do it consistency, consistently, it's irrelevant. Yeah. And it applies to Barmore. It applies to Ramondre Stevenson too. That it's not just that there. These aren't. We're not talking about flashes here. We're not picking and choosing random plays to try to make a case. It's the complete body of work. Right. Uh, the consistency is everything. And then when they get Barmore, just to kind of go back to what you're talking about with the, you know, the pass rush and everything. When they get Barmore and Judon playing that little two-man game. Oh, yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I'll, yeah. so I'll give you another stat here, kind of like I did with Ramondre. To put Bar, uh, Judon's start into context, and Evan, you can probably explain this a little better than me, but basically, Patriots don't necessarily care about sacks. They yeah. care about containing the quarterback. Like, their philosophy is, hey, if, it's yeah. an, if, it's, if we force a throw away, it's an incomplete pass. They didn't gain any yards. You don't want to let the quarterback break contain. You don't want to take dumb penalties. They've never, like, that's why a guy like Chandler Jones comes here, looks good, but then goes to Arizona and has 20 sacks in a season. He didn't get monumentally better. It's a scheme thing. The Patriots would never have a 20-sack guy under Belichick. Yeah. That's that's why, as I pull my stat up here, that's why if you look at their individual sack leaders all time, individual sack leaders all time, Chandler Jones had 12 and a half in, in 2015. You got to go down to eight. And it's Chandler. So to find somebody not Chandler Jones, who had uh, more than ten sacks since 2010, uh, Mark Anderson, 2011. Anyway, oh the, point trying to, the point I'm, I'm Mark, really trying to make. You know, you know when you talk about like sacks that were like coverage sacks or like oh, the Mark second team sacks. Yeah, yeah. Mark sacks. Mark Anderson was the definition of of a. But you know what? A give Good me sack. Him. Good for him. He got yeah. the bag from the Bills. We never heard from him again. I hope he's sitting on the beach somewhere, very happy. Yeah. Um, here's the ultimate point I'm trying to make to put Matt Judon start in context. Matt Judon has nine and a half sacks. Yeah. The record for single season sacks under Belichick, not team record, but under Belichick in the, for the Patriots is 12 and a half. What, what Jones did it? Tippett, Jones Tippett did it. has the record, right? Tippett, Tippett. So pre Belichick, again, if you look at the all time list, Tippett 84, Tippett 85, Tony McGee in 77, Tony McGee in 76, Tippett in 87. So, so what's, the, so what's Tippett's number though? 18 and a half. Oh boy. So well, it is a 17 he, game season. Right. So. He needs to go on a roll. But so here's, yeah. here's more. So my point, and it, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. You're having fun. I like to yeah. see that. You don't always you do that. Um, sacks under Belichick for the Patriots, Chandler Jones, Mike Vrabel have 12 and a half. Chandler Jones had 11 and a half. Mark Anderson, Tolly Bantacane and Andre Carter oh all God. had 10. Those are some Andre, Andre Carter, and Mike Andre Anderson Carter had, had 10 a, in the same 2010? season. Was that 2010? 2011, him and Mark Anderson both had Great 10 sacks that season. Andre yeah. Carter doesn't tear his ACL. We might be talking about seven rings instead of six. Anyway, <laughs> then you have Matthew Judon tied with Willie McGinnis and Mike Vrabel again with nine and a half. 
nine and a half sacks at this point of the year. It's like, it's, I don't want to say it's pedestrian, but it's, it's a considerable amount yeah. in new England. That's unheard of. Yeah. Again, this is the seventh most sacks any players had under Belichick here. And we're halfway through the season, right? What he's doing is special. And by the way, that list is on my Twitter. If you want to go find it real Alex Barth, both the under Belichick list and the all-time list. I'll retweet it right you can, now. You can see the, uh, right, right there. What? Right there, yeah, right there. I, I just, I just, I could have screen shared it this whole time, but I just retweeted it if people. Want well, to see. it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great feeling uh, for the Patriots, as as you all of you can see. We've had a lot of fun over this hour talking about this game and talking about this team being back. Are you saying pump the brakes? No, there's one. No, there's one more. We special teams. You got. They miss Gunner. They do. They miss Gunner. I'll say it. So like, if there I'll, was, I almost included it. I almost put it as the 10th thing in my 10 things about <laughs> the missing gunner, but it was such a positive performance that I just wanted to keep it positive. Right. But it wasn't just the fact that they missed his ability to flip the field on the returns, but there was a lot of field position that they gave up because Jacoby Myers let the ball roll right when he shouldn't have let it roll. Exactly. So, it's knowing when to catch the ball is a big part. Right. Right. So it, even if he just got under the ball and fair caught it every time, then that would have been, you know, that would have been fine. So here's the other thing. Gillen's a really good punter. And I don't know if you saw some of the spin he's putting on that ball. Like that's not an easy ball to catch. Like that might not be Jacoby. That might've been the coaching staff just saying, Hey, just let it roll. Like we don't want to risk a muff or whatever. Yeah. There's one in particular that that rolled like like 20, 25 yards. Gillen's really good. Yeah. The Scottish hammer. He's he, he's, he was the rookie, the all, all rookie punter Bailey's here. He beat out Jake Bailey as a rookie for that spot. Right. Um, so I wonder if it was it's, it Bill just saying, Hey, you haven't caught punts in a game in a while. We'll take the field position. Just let it roll. But either way, cost him what? 30, 35 yards of field position in that game. Yeah. Not having Gunner, like they miss Gunner. So and hopefully, that's not he even including today, the, hopefully he's back this week. That's not even including the 11 yards per, per return that Gunner exactly. adds on to it. Right. We're just talking, exactly. you know, these are the hidden yards that winner, or lose football games. The Patriots luckily probably won't have this problem for very long. Gunner was back at practice today, officially limited, but it was a walkthrough. So this is uh, stage four. I, I learned a lot about concussions last week. Uh, stage four of the return to play process from a concussion. Stage five is going through uh, contact, right? Being able to go through a contact practice or a contact workout and not have any symptoms. That's when he can officially be cleared. But he was back at practice today. And when they play better teams, and maybe it's not the Falcons, but they have Tennessee after that. They have Buffalo coming up after that uh, twice. And then you obviously start to think about the postseason as well. Uh, That can be the difference in, in a lot of these closer games, right? Is having a guy back there. That, that can return it like Gunner can. So uh, the one little eating, tiny little bit of negativity on the show after eight uh, hour and six minutes of gushing. It's not even negative. Like, I don't even mean it as a negative. Again, yeah. I think it's just, you know, and it doesn't, it. missing a player, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts when you miss a player. I just, it's on special teams. People maybe don't realize it as much. I just wanted to make sure it was out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we'll be back on the podcast tomorrow, as I mentioned, to break down and preview this matchup on Thursday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons really, really quickly. I thought Matt Judon had a great quote today about Thursday Night Football being about bread and butters, right? Just you're not going to reinvent the wheel. 
You're not going to come up with a whole new game plan to go up against the Falcons. They're going to have to lean on their core stuff and they're going to, the Falcons will have to do the same thing. So you'll be ready for the core concepts that the Falcons are going to run same way. The Patriots are going to, are going to be ready uh, for it on the other side of the ball. And now these Thursday night games come down to who has the most energy, right? Who has their legs underneath them the most and who can execute their day one install mini camp training camp type of stuff that they've been working on since July. Uh, you do those two things and the Patriots should be able to come away with this game and this W pretty easily. Cause they are definitely the better team against Atlanta, but we will break down Pat's Falcons tomorrow on Wednesday here on the podcast, but thanks for hanging out with us tonight. That was a lot of fun. We haven't been able to, they beat the doors off the jets, but it was the Jets. So that's yeah. again, it's a good team. They beat. Team. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to sit here and be able to uh, just beat the doors off. off. I just had to get it back one more time. When when you were talking about the Kendrick Bourne play, uh, I was going to tell you that the catch probability on that throw was 17% according to next gen stats. I know you you hit you. That makes you see. No, but that, that, no, I love because that proves my point. You can't like the math tells you don't throw that ball, but they got, you know, the math doesn't know all the little intricacies of that exact situation. Right. And if they listened to the math, they wouldn't have had the seven points. He makes the throw, that's he gets right. the seven points. If, if they that's, had a robot, that's, that's my point in a nutshell. If they had a robot playing the quarterback that only threw the oh. highest probability pass, they might have a robot playing quarterback. Yeah, Mac Jones is a robot, just not that kind but of robot. We know he bleeds. <laughs> you know, we, he does we, bleed. That's true. He's not a robot. He bleeds. Future bleed. that. You can't you can't say he's a robot. But uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks so much for hanging out. And uh, thanks for watching. And make sure to subscribe. Patriots Press Pass. Uh, You can get the podcast Patriots Beat on Spotify, Apple Pods, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks, guys.